Listener Production. Take it away, you silky-tongued little nymph. Oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Just the Gist, a weekly podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and Jacob Stanley give you just the gist about what you need to know about a story they think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. Regular listeners will know that I'm neither Rosie Waterland or Jacob Stanley. I am Lindsay. You'll occasionally hear me in the background of our episodes as the producer. And I am leading the show this week because Mm. we're doing something a little bit different. It is that weird time of year when the days start to blur into one another. And you're probably, if you're anything like me, at home, maybe your parents' home, watching a lot of free-to-air telly. And one of the movies that I can almost guarantee is going to be on your telly, even though we're recording this at the first week of November, I have a pretty good read on what's going to be in the TV guide. And one of the movies is going to be Bridget Jones's Diary. So today, (laughs) for Just a Gist, I have welcomed regular Jacob Stanley and friend of the podcast, Adam, who you'll know from the Adam and Simon show, Gogglebox, and a previous episode of Just the Gist, to recap the movie Bridget Jones's Diary, scene by scene. Welcome, Jacob and Adam. (laughs) That was a great start. We've got the regular Jacob and the irregular Jacob, (laughs) also known as Adam. How good was that? That was was brilliant. Great start. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But Adam, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Uh, Well, I've got a six-month-old, so we went on our first uh, holiday. Uh, She went on the plane for the first time, Celia, so absolutely nailed it, which was great. Mm. Uh, On the podcast itself, it's also a little bit controversial coming on the podcast because on the Adam and Simon show, we are a strictly spoiler alert. There are no spoilers on this podcast. So if we're talking about a movie, you're not allowed to give any spoiler away, whereas this Uh. episode is like heavy spoilers. Heavy, heavy spoilers. Does the no spoilers still apply if the movie came out in 2000? Yep. Okay. It applies. It applies (laughs) the whole time. So I'm taking a break from the Adam and Simon show and just letting myself spoil Bridget Jones's diary, which is just great to happen. Uh, On the podcast, we I don't know whether it's out yet or not, but we're making Simon skydive and he's uh, absolutely petrified of it because he... Long story, but we give no free ads on our our show. Mm. And Simon asked, we have one segment per year where we're allowed to ask for free things. He asked for an urban surf voucher. Uh, Instead, they said no, and we got him skydiving. So we're going to take him (laughs) skydiving soon. And he's absolutely shitting bricks. Have you gone skydiving yourself? I've been once, yeah. Uh And it wasn't until I stuck my feet out the plane that I was like, well, this is a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from that, I was like, this is fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rosie and I have been um, planning to do it for a while. Uh, she had to talk me into it, twist my arm, um, <laughs> and as it's been delayed and delayed and delayed, I'm getting less and less and less keen about it. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we are talking today about Bridget Jones's diary, and I wanted to start off with asking both of you when you remember watching the movie for the first time. Adam, you go first. I have seen the movie twice in my life. Once I, uh, my wife uh, made me watch it, I reckon about two years ago. Uh-huh. And then the next, the second time, second and only other time that I've watched it was last night. So it is <laughs> fresh in my memory, absolute uh-huh. fresh. 
And Jacob, do you remember? Can you answer before I do? I can't think of the first time that I would have seen it. I wouldn't have seen it when it first came out in 2000 because I was a young person. Mm. Um, <laughs> I would have seen it sometime in my teen Maybe. years, but I can't remember the first time I would have seen it. <sighs> okay, well, I'm showing my age here because <laughs> I saw this in the cinema the weekend it came out. <laughs> this was my birthday celebration. I thought it was 2001 and it was my I think 17th so it is. Yep. birthday. Yeah. Oh, we got on it that night. We started off by going to dinner in Terrigal and because one of the waitresses who was looking after us went to high school with us, she allowed us to BYO bottle after bottle after bottle of champagne. Oh, then, is this gold class or are you just in uh, like regular cinema? Oh, that was the restaurant to begin with, sorry, okay. where we were getting the um, champagne. Then when we went to just a very basic regular cinema, um, we took vodka with us and poured it into our raspberry <laughs> slushies to enjoy oh. through the movie. And so I remember very distinctly <laughs> the cab ride on the way home, 30 minutes, three of us singing all by myself at the top <laughs> of our lungs. And if you've seen the movie, you understand why. Um, yeah, and we all just absolutely loved it. And we bought the book, we bought the soundtrack, we bought the DVD. I think I've watched the DVD 50-ish times over mm-hmm. the course of my life. It is ingrained in my memory. And I even watched the DVD back in the day with the director's commentary turned on. <laughs> Remember oh, that? Um, and I must have watched it with director's commentary multiple times as well because as I was re-watching it <laughs> just a couple of days ago, I remembered so many of the things that the director had pointed out that I found to be really interesting insights. So I'll share some of them with you along the way as we go. So I'm kind of the exact opposite. Yeah, we've got a nice spectrum of Adam seeing it twice. I've probably seen it like half a dozen times over the years and Jacob has seen it probably more than anyone else in... Human history, yeah. Good <laughs> while. Big, uh, big BJ fan. Big BJ fan. Huge. That's Bridget Jones for anyone playing at home, obviously. We keep things above board here. Jacob, Jacob nearly just choked on his beer, but as we know... Big BJ fan. <laughs> huge, huge, huge. <clears throat> Couldn't be bigger. Enough. Yeah. Be, mate, BJ since 2001. Every day of the week. Yep. BJ since 2001. Director's <laughs> cut. There's someone commentating him watching BJ's. Oh, it's great. BJ made my 17th birthday, so very memorable. <laughs> okay. Um, and what, based on our limited or extensive knowledge of the film before we watched it the other day, before going into it the second time or the 47th time or probably the sixth time for me, what do you guys remember of the film? I just remember her being like a bit of a hot mess. That was all I remembered mainly from it. Um, Just that she really, yeah, just didn't seem like someone who who had her life put together, which is very relatable because, I mean, struggled to have our lives put together at the best of times. And also that, and this was um, reinforced by watching it, but Colin Firth has looked about 40 years for about 40 years. He must have hit 20, looked 40, and then just then turned 60, still looks 40. Like he just hasn't aged. Yeah. What a blessing. It probably mm. felt like a curse when he was in his 20s, mm-hmm. but now, oh, lucky duck. Um, I remembered pretty much everything except for a couple of things. So I'll talk about what I had forgotten about that sort of caught me off guard when I was watching. The smoking how much they smoked. Oh, I completely blocked out the fact that everyone back then did smoke in the office, in restaurants, at like 
acquaintances' houses when they're having Siggy's a inside. Party. Yeah. It's like a 4 a.m. kick-on party at your mate's house now. People are having Siggy's inside. Siggy's in the restaurant. Siggy's in the bar. Yeah. Siggy's in the bedroom. Siggy's in the lounge room. Siggy's at someone else's Christmas party. Yeah. It loose as. Mm-hmm. And committed showies will know... Recent top three, how do you know you're drunk? Siggy's inside. Yeah, Siggy's inside. <laughs> Seriously. Now, in 2022, if people haven't Siggy's inside, people are drunk. Back oh. in 2001, Siggy's inside, it was just a Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday morning even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it didn't matter. Yeah, loose as. I actually had that in my notes about how wild it was that Siggy, it says, my note says, Siggy's inside is loose. It's 2001. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am going to assume that most people have probably seen this movie, but just in case you haven't, this is the premise of the film. And I quote, At the start of the new year, 32-year-old Bridget, played by Renee Zellweger, decides it's time to take control of her life and start keeping a diary. Now, the most provocative, erotic and hysterical book on her bedside table is the one she's writing. With a taste for adventure and an opinion on every subject, from exercise to men to food to sex and everything in between, she's turning the page on a whole new life. So the movie opens to Renee Zellweger, our titular character, walking in the snow with voiceover from her saying in a British accent, it all began on New Year's Day on my 32nd year of being single, which as a 29-year-old single person spoke to me, uh, more so probably <laughs> oh, than the last time I watched it. You think it spoke to you? <laughs> <laughs> as someone who's in their late 30s-ish area, I'll tell you what, <laughs> on watching this the other night, I misheard her and I thought she said on my 37th birthday and I was like, that's funny, I remember her being a bit younger than that. Oh, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. I'm only a smidge older than Bridget Jones when she's having an existential crisis about the fact that she's a spinster. And then later on, she kept saying 32, and I was like, oh, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, she is quite damn. a lot younger than I am in this movie. Mm. Yeah. Also, as a side note, can we address, Lindsay and Jacob, please, the fact that her mum lives opposite a cemetery and the cemetery is like a roundabout. I did not yeah. clock that as a cemetery. Oh, mate, as soon as it walked in, I was like, she walks up there, it's like snow, and also found out that they filmed the snow scenes in like the middle of June in England. Uh-huh. So it was actually summer, and there's all the snow going over there. But if you go back and look at the opening scene where she like walks up to her mum's house for the Christmas party, or the New Year's party, uh-huh. and the like roundabout in front of her house is a cemetery. There's like tombstones. I was like, what are you doing, mum? I'm that is spooky. I'm already committing to another rewatch. I miss that. Is that a peculiarly British thing? I don't know. It must be. I actually first saw it and I was like, holy shit, this is Godric's Hollow from Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> actually, the Harry Potter references are pretty apt because she says in her voiceover that she's going to her mum's house for this New Year's Day party um, for a turkey curry buffet, which just sounds extremely <laughs> British in the 90s. Yes. Um, and her mum is played by Gemma Jones, who is... Madame Pomfrey in Harry Potter, and her dad was played by Jim Broadbent, who is Horace Slughorn, Um, and then Moaning Myrtle's actor comes up later in the film. So it must have just been like maybe Harry Potter was around the same time and they're like, oh, they're around, they'll do. And so I also, mate, the Harry Potter references are just phenomenal. I was like, that's Moaning Myrtle as soon as I saw her friend Jude. I was like, that's Moaning Myrtle. And then she's crying in the bathroom. I know, I know. that first scene. And then the other references in there as well, uh, the uncle, uh, like the creepy uncle, he's also in Game of Thrones. Uh Oh, 
And then the son of um, Fitzherbert is also in Game of Thrones. There's like Game of Thrones and Harry Potter running wild through Bridget Jones' diary. Before they got famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so Renee Zellweger, Bridget walks into the home. Her mum is trying to set up poor spinster Bridget at 32 years of age with Colin Firth's character, Mark Darcy, who she likes to point out has just split up with his Japanese wife saying, and I quote, cruel race, which yeah, is the only hint impo- of diversity we get in the entire film. <laughs> I don't know why it's important to point out that she was Japanese. Like it seems... He could just say she, he's split up with his wife. It's a very strange, like, thing that they mention. And look, looking back at it, it is a time capsule that really sort of shows the casual approach to racism some boomers were able to get away with mm. back then. Um, and then, God, she makes it just as bad in the same sentence when she says that Renee uh, Bridget looks like someone who's just wandered out of Auschwitz. Mm. Like she's just one of those yeah. women who yeah. has no filter and says incredibly inappropriate and judgmental things. Um, yeah, that that was something that you probably wouldn't see in a movie mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. But like I said, time perhaps you'll live at the time. When we get the it. first look of, um, of Mark Darcy, of mm. Colin Firth, and then heaps of people give him shit for his reindeer jumper. Mm. Did either of you be like, it's not that bad a jumper? I was like, if you wore yeah. that to a Christmas party, I mean, it's obviously New Year's, like it's a little bit too late. Mm. But I was like, that's a pretty cool jumper. Mm. Is there something wrong with the jumper? Yeah, in comparison to what Bridget comes down stairs yeah. wearing, I don't think it's that bad. No, it's no. not. But, okay, so it's a juxtaposition because oh, Colin Firth played Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. in this Which you really haven't seen. I'm not, um, but I know a bit about it because... Bridget Jones's character in the original book is obsessed with Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. So this bit of casting was this meta sort of thing that uh, Mark Darcy ended up being played by Bridget's fantasy man, Colin Firth. Um, and the first scene where you see Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, he sort of turns around and he just looks incredibly handsome and debonair in this really sophisticated outfit. So this is meant to sort of juxtapose that, that he's got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Ah, mm. uh, right, that makes sense. Jump. Also, Colin Firth, very skinny boy. I was like, you were a skinny man once, Colin Firth. Put a pin in that because we need to circle back to it when we're talking okay. about the weight issue <laughs> a bit later on. Okay. Pin placed. Um, so Bridget and Mark have a very bumbly conversation and then later on at the same party she hears him describe her as a verbally incontinent spinster who smokes like a chimney, drinks like a fish and dresses like her mother, which becomes a kind of come-to-Jesus moment for Bridget where she needs to, where she realises she needs to make a change in her life if she ever wants to get herself a man. <sighs> Which is all that matters. Yes. Of course. Exactly. She's lost at life if she dies a single person. God forbid. <laughs> this whole first scene is brilliant. It does so many things so effectively. Number one, don't you just love the way that her, her mum's idea of flirting is finding out if Mark fancies a gherkin. Yeah. <laughs> So much to love about Pamela. But no, the most important thing in that scene is that it really establishes Bridget does not have a lot of agency in her own life. Like she does the exact same thing every year. She goes to her parents' turkey curry buffet. She goes to a lot of her parents' social engagements, which sort of struck me as weird later on in the film. She just 
goes ahead and follows her mum's instructions and puts on her mum's clothes, even though she clearly doesn't want to, and puts up with all those comments about her love life mm. and about her biological clock ticking away. She just cops it all. And so we learn that within like the first few minutes of the movie that, um, yeah, she's been a bit of a pushover. And then we get to the turning point. And then the turning point comes. She's back in her apartment in London watching Frasier, listening to your favourite song, Jacob, oh. all by myself. <laughs> and I, I love how it happened in Friends, it happened in all the TV shows, probably still as well, how these people like Bridget, who's earning a publicist's salary, is able to afford an apartment in central London yeah. with a sitting room and a dining room and a balcony. Mm-hmm. And this She lives above the borough market. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that where it is? She lives above the Incredible borough market, location. which is like right in the middle of London. She's mm-hmm. like shitting it in right in the middle of London. I was also like, if you're as pissed as she is doing an incredible lip sync, it's also probably not safe to have an open flame around you. I was like, you are just at full risk of falling into that thing and, and doing yourself an absolute mischief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is the moment where she decides that she's going to start keeping a diary and she starts off with weight 136 pounds, obviously lose 20 pounds. Two things stood out to me with this. The first is that she is British and why is she running in pounds? Mm-hmm. And the second was when I was watching this, because we don't use pounds, they don't really mean anything to me. So I just watched the whole movie and I was like, I'll Google it later. And then when I went to Google it, I realised that 136 pounds is 61 kilos and if she yeah. wanted to lose mm-hmm. 20 pounds, she would weigh 52 kilos, mm. which is mm. what a child weighs, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Probably... What Renee Zellweger weighed before she put on the weight? Yeah, she's quoted as saying that because she got a lot of flack for um, her being cast in the role as someone who is one, not British, Mm. two, doesn't smoke, and three, isn't fat when Mm. this character is allegedly supposed to be all frumpy and dumpy, Mm. that she naturally sits at 110 pounds. Mm. 60 kilos is like... What like yeah? You don't need to lose twenty pounds. Yeah. Mm. Um, We've all done that though. We've set New Year's resolutions that are completely unrealistic. Like, <laughs> mate, I set a realistic one last year. I was like, I want to learn how to make three like really good recipes from scratch, like three trademark recipes that are like oh, Adam's cooking his expert. Yeah. Didn't do any of them. <laughs> didn't didn't get a single one. So like, I tried to go with a manageable one and didn't even do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, she'd set herself up to fail immediately here. That body type really is just unattainable. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that we've probably all been there where we think that new year, new me, let's start a diary. And then it gets to about... There are people doing that today. It's New Year's (laughs) Day. I guarantee you there are people who are sitting down writing themselves a list of things that they are going to resolve. Try to be as realistic as you can, people, and maybe just keep it to one resolution. The more there are, the more your focus is split. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the movie, she's writing in her diary. She's obviously all of this is to try and get herself a boyfriend. She's 32, doesn't want to die alone. We can all relate, except for some of us who are married. Must be nice. Um, <laughs> show, Different podcast. <laughs> so she's writing in her diary um, all the kind of characteristics that she doesn't want in a man. And it next cuts to she's in her office. The, Lift doors open and we see Hugh Grant's character, Daniel Cleaver, for the first time, who is just the, like, quintessential 
sex symbol, I think it's safe to say. 2001 sex symbol for sure, like floppy hair, Mm -hmm. just Hugh Grant at Mm -hmm. his absolute peak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Hugh Grant, it didn't get any better. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's gone downhill. It might come back when he gets a little bit like Silver Fox-ish, but Hugh Grant definitely like 10 out of 10 at that stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'd done four weddings and a funeral at this point and Notting Hill, so definitely like heartthrob kind of... um, period of his life. Plus, um, he was engaged in like a vanity competition with Colin Firth. They were competing with each other to see how much weight either of them could lose oh, in preparation oh, really? for the role. So that's why they both look so lean and trim <sighs> and muscly and their jawlines are so chiselled because they were trying to, you know, outdo each other as being the most handsome of the two love interests in the movie, which then sort of fed into that overarching storyline, which I'm sure Lindsay's going to get into, talking about, you know, Renee putting on all that weight for the first movie and then losing it so quickly and all the publicity that surrounded that. But, yeah, the two boys, and it was this really sexist thing as well where they were um, saying, isn't that so funny that it's the men who were trying mm. to lose the weight for this particular movie, whereas she's allowed <laughs> to eat Kit Kats. <laughs> 2001, a different time. Very. A different time. Um, So we find out at this point that Bridget is working in this company underneath um, Daniel Cleaver, Hugh Gant's character. It's a publishing company. She's working in publicity. We're introduced to a couple more characters in her office. There's Mr Fitzherbert, who she calls Mr Titzpervert, and and the woman who sits across the desk from her Perpetua. We don't know much about her except that she just bosses Bridget around. How loose is the name Perpetua as well too? Like are we we bringing up that? That is just like that's, that's a wild name for now. Like now there are wild baby names getting around. But if you were like... I've just had a child. I've called it Perpetua Stanley. <laughs> You'd be like, what? I'm going to Google and see if there are any famous Perpetuas. There can't be any other famous Perpetuas. That's a ridiculous name to call a person. Uh, there can't be any more. I think it might have been a saint, which uh, kind of makes it, it worse. Mm. Christian Martyrs, Perpetua mm. and Felicity. Mm. Ridiculous. It's an absolutely ridiculous name. Also, another very 2001 thing to have someone openly called tits pervert, like someone who's openly known as mm-hmm. like a sexual mm-hmm. harasser in the office, and it's like, oh, that's just his nickname. And you're like, ooh, yeah. 2001, ooh, this is a bad time. By the end of this scene, and we're only a few minutes in, really, we've had three examples of casual sexual harassment because you've got the gropey uncle at the mm-hmm. turkey curry buffet. at the <laughs> Uncle Jerome. Um, which, by the way, you can get the um, recipe for the turkey curry if you're interested. <laughs> we might even think about posting that on our Instagram. Um, and then you've now got Mr. Tits Pervert, and by the end of this, um, we've had another grope come around. Oh, yeah, it's not the end. Mm. Yeah, this was definitely a movie when I, prior to re-watching it the other night, it had been lodged in my mind as, like, just the most romantic movie that I could think of. And watching it back, I was like, no, no, this is sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. This is not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned earlier that Bridget gets a call from, I can't call, I, her character's name is Jude, but she's Moaning Myrtle, yep. who was crying in the bathroom. Mm. Has she played any other roles, I wonder? Is it possible to see this Moaning Myrtle actress in a role and not think, oh, it's Moaning Myrtle? That Not is an interesting question. And she like she was a pretty small character in only a couple of the mm. movies, right? And yet she's so memorable. 
Let me look her up on imdb.com. Oh, I've just found it. She was in Train Spotting. Huh. Yeah, how loose is that? Then she did all the Harry Potters and stuff. She was in, and then a lot of like, oh, she was in Frozen. Oh. No, that not the actual Frozen, surely. No, nah, not the actual Frozen. She was in a psychological thriller called Frozen. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then she hasn't really done that. Oh, I mean, she's done a bit across the time, but like, I feel like it's the voice. There's the look mm. of Moaning Myrtle, but it's the voice of Moaning Myrtle that you're like, yeah, that's it. Uh, and then we cut to the next scene. Bridget's in at a bar with her friends Shazza and Tom. Tom, who she points out, total poof, of course. <laughs> Again, another thing that you couldn't get away with in 2022. Oh, she's an ally. <laughs> she said it's okay, but I feel like it's okay. I mean, like, we can address that, but can we please address how bad Tom's teeth are? Mate, they I didn't are notice. like. They are like a busted set of piano keys. Like someone has so left out in hard rubbish and they've had 14 people run over the top of them with dirty shoes. They are like some of the worst teeth getting around in a movie. He's got money. He doesn't need good teeth. True. He's and he's not having trouble picking up either, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, that's the thing. It, if you've got money and you've got some level of fame, you, you're going to get laid <laughs> and that's all he's looking for in life. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not worried about fixing up the busted grill. I did appreciate that he was changing the cover on his Nokia, on Nokia. 3115 yeah. so or nice whatever it is. So Nokia after all these years. Bit of snake, playing a bit of snake too. Oh, yeah. fond memories. <laughs> um, and then we're back in the office. Bridget shows up in I think the same clothes that she's wearing the day before when she gets her first pervy message from her boss, Hugh Grant, on MSN Messenger, which I really enjoyed. He says, uh, amongst other things, you appear to have forgotten your skirt. Is skirt off sick? <laughs> Which is portrayed in the movie as just like coy, romantic, sexy kind of banter. Flirty. It's like, yeah. this is flirty. I was like, whoa, this is very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe appropriate. I don't even know if it is appropriate if it was from a colleague, but when you remember that it's her boss, like <laughs> that's a line. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of this stuff, like today, yeah, a lot of the sexual harassment that is occurring in the film is also like super trackable. Mm. Like a lot of it's done. (laughs) They're like not so much like a comment here and there. It's like groping, groping in an elevator where there's definitely a camera. Mm. There's in writing in an email. I was like, mate, you are just absolutely opening yourself up for a lawsuit very, very soon. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But then you see him smoking in his office as well. True. Ah, yeah. True. (laughs) Two decades, a lot has changed. Yeah. Uh, He follows up the next day. So, sorry, Bridget's obviously clearly likes the attention to some point because the next day she shows up in a see-through skirt and a see-through shirt, sorry, in a skirt and he messages her again. P.S. I like your tits in that top. And then, Mm. as we've said, touches her bum in an elevator. Which is not okay. <laughs> mm. um, then we cut back to she's in the bar again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. I just have to talk about there is a little vignette snippet in there that I relate to so much where they're having this little flirty back and forth and he's touching her on her bum and she's already imagining their wedding. Mm-hmm. And she's telling herself, don't get ahead of yourself too much, but she just cannot resist indulging in this fantasy that they're going to be able to tell everyone about this 
sweet little funny meet cute mm-hmm. that they had in the office and how their little romance blossomed into this incredible lifelong love affair. We've all been that girl at some point in our lives. <laughs> yes. Right? I can't be alone. No, here. I had this situation a couple of months ago where I wanted to make a recipe that called for pork belly. Mm. So I went to the butcher. I've never bought pork belly before. So I went to this butcher and I was talking to the butcher about like how much do I need? How do I cook it? How do I cut it? All of that sort of stuff. And I thought that there was like something going on here with me and the butcher mm. and I left and I went home and I the butcher is like <laughs> a, kind of like a boutique butcher in Marrickville in Sydney. Mm. Uh, damn it, I just gave it away to anyone who lives in Sydney. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I went home and I was like, oh, maybe there's something there. And then I found their Instagram account because they're a boutique butcher and they've got an Instagram account. Yes. And I was like, I'll just you know, I'll just follow them. He doesn't, they don't have a lot of followers. Like it'll show up that mm. he's got a notification that someone's following them. And if he's interested, I'm here. And then I started looking through his feed and not long into my scroll, I saw that he had not only a partner, but also a kid. And uh. I came back to my senses because when I left the butcher... Came to your senses or came crashing back to earth? (laughs) Came crashing back to earth. Same thing. Because when I was walking home from the butcher, I was like, damn it, I eat mostly vegetarian food, but now I need to go back to the butcher to keep this romance going. (laughs) (laughs) I was completely throwing out. I guess I'm a carnivore now, guys. I guess I'm a carnivore. (laughs) But thankfully, I never had to cross that bridge because obviously he was not flirting with me. Speaking of love to Lindsay, <laughs> and you mentioned Instagram there, she let slip just before oh, no. we started recording this that she's got this fantasy that she's going to find love in the comments section on the Just Like This Instagram. <laughs> oh, so, mate, more people to comment, the better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's um, increase the size of this pool. Drop into our DMs and, um, yeah, we'll see if we can make that happen for you in the new year, Lindsay. This oh, will be your resolution. Yeah, here's hope. Mm. <laughs> so she's back in the bar. Bridget is with her friends. She's getting advice about this event that she's got coming up, a work event that Daniel's going to be at. Um, and they tell her she needs to look gorgeous, ignore Daniel, ooze intelligence and introduce people with thoughtful details. And then we cut to the classic makeover scene where... This was part of the movie that made me very uncomfortable was just the way she's just obsessed with underwear and the way that British people call underwear pants. Yeah. Because oh. <laughs> she's tossing up between the G-string and the pair of, like, spanks and any reference to underwear in this movie just made me very uncomfortable. Why? I don't know. <laughs> just because, like, it's so, it feels just so, maybe it was the 2000s, but it just feels so conservative uh-huh. that, like, the idea of wearing a G-string is, like, not the kind of thing that a woman like her would do. Like, G-strings are, a tri- like, for a different type uh, of woman, not for Bridget. Uh, or if you're out looking, for, if you're like, oh, I'm ready to go out tonight, you're like, maybe I'll be lucky or maybe I'll find someone that I can bring home, therefore I should wear my G-string, because that's what they're going to see. And mm. she was like, nah, nah, I'd much rather be comfortable. You know about the things like the the chastity pubic hair and the chastity underwear. Like, women mm. used to do it. I don't know if it's still a thing, but when a woman would go out on a first date, it was encouraged that she wear unattractive underwear and maybe not maintain her pubic region so that there was no possibility that she would give in to her desires to go home ah. with the person she was going out on a date with. Hopefully that's a practice that everyone has moved on from. <laughs> it's a bit outdated and incredibly superficial, but that was definitely 
a thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that from Rosie's stand-up show, Kid Chameleon. Mm, yes. Um, so she goes to an event, Kafka's Motorbike. Apparently it's the greatest book of our time. And at this event is when she runs into Mark Darcy for I wanted to keep track of the number of times that she spends with him throughout the movie because I just don't believe that she's as madly in love with him as she pretends that she is towards the end of the movie. So this is the second time that she sees him. Um, they gay, well, he kind of looks at her longingly from across the room. And meanwhile, she's having very cold thoughts about him mm-hmm. at this mm. point. Based on their first interaction, she has a fantasy of introducing him as a prematurely middle-aged prick with a cruel raced ex-wife. She's more like her mother than she would like to accept. So she's very, very, very frosty towards him at this stage. And as you say, it's only the second time mm-hmm. we've met. A big shift is coming. Oh, third time they've met because she used to swim naked in his bathroom. Good that's point. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's what the longing glances are about mm. because he's remembering those days when they were so young mm. and careful. Which is a bit weird. Mm. Mm. A bit weird. Also, Salman Rush says, how yeah. odd. Yeah. <laughs> Salman Rushdie's at the event, which is loose like Salman Rushdie, just got stabbed in the eye. Oh, yes. Oh, in real like life. August 2022, yeah, someone stabbed him and now he doesn't have like the use of his left hand or something. Oh, that's dreadful. Ooh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I think he had the fatwa out on him at the time of this movie. I would assume. Oh, really? I'm going to Google that. Hold on. Well, yeah, his book came out in 1988, so mm. by 2001, yeah, well and truly. I guess he was even just used to it by then, so very comfortable going to events mm-hmm. like this and not fearing for his safety and not <laughs> feeling like he's got to have bodyguards surrounding him at all times. Um, so Mark is looking longingly at Bridget, but Bridget only has eyes for Daniel Cleaver. At I can't remember exactly, but it becomes clear at this point that Mark, Darcy and Daniel Cleaver know each other. She, Bridget, gives a very uncomfortable speech and then afterwards Daniel... That is iconic. Oh. Yep. Don't say tits pervert. Don't I say tits pervert. Don't say tits pervert. So much. Oh, yes. All of these scenes that where she is giving some sort of speech that just make me want to recoil into oh. myself. Okay, there are certain things from this movie that really truly made it into the vernacular mm-hmm. of my friends and I during the final years of high school. And oi, oi, <laughs> oi <laughs> was certainly one of them. Um, and also, yours are. Very good too <laughs> was something we adopted. I absolutely love that bit, and Renee does that <laughs> awkward. She's very good at it. So phenomenally well. Yes. Um, after the speech, she and Daniel get out of there, go to a restaurant. He is a hero in that moment, by the way. Oh saves yeah. Her. He's never more attractive in this. Actually, maybe there's one other time when he's more attractive than this. <laughs> Like when he swoops in and lifts her up at a time where she feels like absolute garbage, that is so sexy Mm -hmm. and you are totally on his (laughs) side at that point. Not for long. Oh, no. (laughs) They go to a restaurant where they have food but spend most of the time smoking and then that's when we learn for the first time this story from Daniel that Mark was the best. The reason why they know each other is they went to college together. Mark was the best man at Daniel's wedding, but then Mark slept with Daniel's fiance and ran off together. So this was a bit of a building Daniel Cleaver's character moment, mm. more of a heartthrob kind of energy. Mm. And it really, like, when uh, Bridget gets told the story, it really, like, 
hits her because she's like, yeah, I already hate this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she gets told, she's like, of course he did that. That guy's an asshole. He's yep. a psychopath. Yeah. He could have come up with any life why he had a falling out with this guy instead of taking the actual existing story and flipping the characters. It's, this is the first sign we see that mm-hmm. he is an unhinged narcissist. <laughs> Um, so they finish up their little smoke fest at the restaurant. They go, Daniel goes to invite Bridget back to her house, but because she is a lady who doesn't wear G-strings, she declines. <laughs> and then we cut to his apartment anyway where they're kissing. And then this is another part that makes me extremely uncomfortable when he <laughs> discovers the enormous underpants that she's wearing to suck her, her all 61 kilos of herself back in. And he says... Hello, mummy. Oh, <laughs> mate, I wrote that down. That is just, that needs to be like investigated by a psychologist yeah. somewhere because that is, there's a lot in that. Okay, now you need to know that almost all of that was completely improvised by Hugh Grant. Oh, really? That entire scene. Put him on yes. that list oh, somewhere. Absolutely <laughs> enormous pants. Oh, I've got to have another look. I'm wearing something similar myself. He, The reason that it keeps going past the point of being awkward and then just spiralling out of control, um, but also being very funny, I thought. Um, yeah, he was just improvising that. A lot of that was not in the mm. script at all. They were just going with the flow, which does tell us a bit about Hugh Grant and his proclivities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not his first time. Which you can Google if you Google <laughs> Hugh Grant. Go to his Wikipedia, look up some controversies for Hugh Grant. You'll see a couple of stories down there. Um, next, she so she spends the night with Hugh Grant. Um, next, we see her. She's walking through London, smiling, very stoked with herself. There's a neon sign in the background that reads, weight 131 pounds, which is 59 kilos, have replaced food with sex, which doesn't make a lot of sense when we get to the next scene when she's in bed with Daniel. And he says that it's Thursday and their relationship only started on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. assuming that they spent the entire three days only smoking and not eating anything, she realistically could have dropped, like, the two kilos mm-hmm. in <laughs> some sort of water weight, not having any food in her belly. Yes. She's losing a lot of fluids. <laughs> She's having just, a really, yeah. really good time, <sighs> and he knows how to use all his bits. I'd probably, uh, someone needs to call a dry cleaner or at least <laughs> call, like, a dares or something because we're going to need a whole, we're going to need a whole new set of Manchester. Oh. But, yeah, very uncomfortable from the weight perspective again, which is just one of the things that stood out to me most in this movie, watching back as an adult, is just the constant reiteration that um, skinnier, smaller is better when mm. already she was small to start with. Which, again, time capsule, yeah. that certainly was of its era. That was the way that everyone mm-hmm. was thinking diet culture was so... Pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it absolutely, like, this really rings true that it would be something she thought about mm. all day, every day, how big she was and whether she was on the way up or on the way down mm-hmm. on the mm. scale. And smoking ciggies all the time as well, trying to, like, suppress mm-hmm. hunger and that mm-hmm. kind of thing too. This is Yeah, a whole, there's a lot of people that need a little bit of psychological intervention. Mm-hmm. We next see them post-coital. Daniel and Bridget when... <laughs> Very well phrased. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I actually don't remember the last time I heard the phrase post-coital. <laughs> you can use it if you want. I'll let you. Um, so they're in bed together. Bridget is wearing a bra, which I hate movies where they clearly have just had sex and someone is still wearing their underwear, but that's neither here nor there. Mm. Lindsay a- wants to see a bit of bare chest. <laughs> yeah, just like... 
Let Renee. the girl go. This is She's why Renee like, didn't win the Oscar. Yeah, Spoiler exactly alert. right. It didn't was R rated for a reason. Give the people what they want. Um, <laughs> she gets a phone call from her mum. <laughs> she answers, oh, what was it? She goes, Bridget Jones, wanton sex goddess with a very bad man between her thighs. <laughs> Told you I've seen it a few times. <laughs> Which is just something that you would never say. Who did she think was calling? Yeah. I know. I don't know who the right answer was. Like, if I don't know who calls you say that and they're like, oh, good one, Bridge. Mm. Get around it. Oh, maybe Tom or something. Yeah, mm. if it was Tom the Total Poof, he would Yeah, <laughs> he would live for maybe. Or that. Jude would have been happy. Like, a, a few people would have been. Yeah, okay. Mm. Maybe there's a couple of people that would have been but, happy. But, like, mum, wrong. Big risk. She's got three friends yeah. in the world by the look of things <laughs> and then everyone else <laughs> have a negative reaction to hearing And that. I'm tipping with the way that, like, her relationship with her mum is that her mum's probably the one who's calling her the most. So, like, <laughs> it was probably going to be mum. Like, odds on, mum. Yep. <sighs> she took a gamble, didn't pay off. Mm. Um, her mum is working in a shopping centre when she's calling. She's working on demonstrating some sort of device that you would see on the home shopping channel that peels eggs. Have it earth. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that. okay, like, obviously, there she's um, she gives it a good pump. It has a little bit of a squirt. Mm. Did either of you think that's actually a pretty good invention? Like, were either of you oh. like, if I boiled an egg, I'd be like, that'd be so handy because peeling eggs is such a pain in the ass. It so is like, very easy to take a lot of the egg off with the peel. Yeah. If yep. I had it, I'd be like, that's pretty good. In-. I was like, that's pretty good invention. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact of the like the heavily sexualized <laughs> nature of an egg peeler. <laughs> nice firm grip, <laughs> up and down. <laughs> Out it comes in your hands. Mind the overspray. <laughs> so uh, I love Pamela. Oh. <laughs> and this is when we're introduced to a new subplot in the film, which is her mum and dad's relationship. Her mum says that she's been poached for a TV show by a guy named Julian who thinks that she has potential. And she doesn't say it explicitly, but suggests that she's running off with this Julian fellow and her parents have separated because... She also says she regrets having children. Yeah. Is that what you were getting to? No. That she tells her daughter that looking back on her life, she's not sure that she'd have kids. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Just whacks her right between the eyes. Also, as a side note, she says something about uh, fat people beating up their relatives uh, on TV. I was like, (laughs) I feel like she's almost, is she trying to plan an idea for a reality TV show that's going to come out? Because I feel like if there was fat people beating up their relatives on TV, now you'd be like, it's going to be like on Channel 9 or something somewhere. You do remember Jerry Springer, right? Yeah, yeah. But I feel like that that could turn into like a full TV show now. <laughs> oh, as that opposed to the title. <laughs> like that's it, yeah. <gasps> oh, well, but yeah, oh, you're a dad, Adam, life lesson. You mm. can talk to people about your possible regrets of parenting, but the one person yeah. you don't want to talk about <laughs> it is your daughter. <laughs> oh. um, and then the next scene we see Bridget at her parents' house. She's with her dad and her dad, Horace Slughorn from Harry Potter, is watching the mum on TV and looking... Very sad, which is the point where Bridget tells her dad that she's got a boyfriend and he's perfect, which I don't know, as someone who has dated a lot of people and never told my parents about them, it feels like a risky situation that early on in a relationship to tell your parents and to also say that he's perfect because the next time you see them, they're going to ask, how's the boyfriend? And you're going to have to say, he ghosted me, it's over. 
risky. <sighs> she's completely delusional at this point. And that's despite the fact he's already shown her that he's a fuckboy by, mm-hmm. you know, she asks, well, how are we going to deal with this in the office? And he's completely dismissed that it's a thing of any substance. So she's been given her first hint and she's choosing to overlook it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's just digmatized <laughs> right now. <laughs> she's not thinking properly. Mm-hmm. Yep, he- uh, just too far head over heels. Like so far head over heels that her head's in the sand. Yeah, very much so. The next time we see her, she's going away with Daniel for the weekend. And of course, Mark Darcy and his colleague Natasha slash love interest are at the same hotel, which marks the third time that we see Bridget and Mark interacting with each other in the movie. Um, stuff happens, they're on a rowboat. There's a sex scene between Bridget and Daniel, where he says or where she tells him that what he just did to her was illegal. And then afterwards he asks her if he loves her. And because he's a fuckboy, doesn't necessarily disagree or agree. They just go continue going back to illegal activities. Did you guys wonder what the illegal thing was? I was like, what is this illegal thing? Like what is illegal in five, it's illegal in five countries or something? I was like, is she, how literal is she trying to be here? What's the closest you got? I didn't think about it, but I want to know where you <laughs> Well, I genuinely didn't know. I was like, what's he doing? Like, where's he putting? I was like, if it's illegal, it also wouldn't. <laughs> where's he putting it? That's what I'm asking. There's only a limited amount of areas that he's putting it. And if it's illegal, it's not any of the ones that I know of. <laughs> I didn't look was into it that like... bit of trivia, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe I will afterwards. Yeah. Um, this time that they're having this little mini break, um, like this is where you can see that Mark Darcy really starts to fall for her because this is where mm. for the first time gets to see Bridget at her best when they're on the pond yeah. and she's laughing and having such a great time with Hugh Grant. That is when Hugh Grant looks his best, when he's drenched from falling into the pond. He's still got the cigarette in his mouth. His shirt's clinging to his body. Mm-hmm. That's a callback to the Pride and Prejudice mm. that um, Colin Firth was uh. in. He emerged out of the pond. And that's your number one Hugh Grant? Went all dripping wet for him. Um, Yeah, that's my number one Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant moment. But that's when I reckon Mark Darcy realises that there's something really special about Bridget when she sees her Mm. just losing her crap with laughter and so full of joy. Because prior to that, he's just seen her in awkward social situations. And also the comparison between Bridget, like the happy-go-lucky, chill, one-of-the-boys kind of chick compared Mm. to Natasha, who's just an uptight bitch. Reading legal documents while they're (laughs) rowing around on a pond on a weekend. Mate, you're on a holiday. Take a break, Natasha. Mm. Jesus Christ. Not much to like about her. Uh, what happens next? It's the morning and Bridget wakes up and she sees that Hugh Grant is sitting on the side or a chair next to the bed. Um, they went on this holiday to the country because Bridget and Mark were going to go to a party at her parents' house and he tells her that he can't go to the party, has to go back early for an early morning meeting in London because he, quote, needs to work on some figures, which is a vague enough excuse for him to get away with leaving early. Well, he's saying, I'm not lying. Yeah. It's a very dodgy way to do it. Got some work to do, some figures. Mm. So on the one hand, it's like you wouldn't understand, little lady, because you're, you just work in publicity. You wouldn't have any idea what figures are. And then when she gets upset and he loses her temper at her, he tells her that she's fannying about with press releases. Mm. She wouldn't have a clue about the business, which I would say, why should she have a clue about the business? She works in publicity. Mm. Yeah. 
Strong point, but he's just saying whatever he can say to neg her, mm-hmm. put her down, yep. and then love bomb her mm. immediately as a way of manipulating her because he looks like a bubble narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> but jeez, um, you look good coming out of that pond though, didn't he, Jacob? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I'd actually forgotten how very good he looked. Yeah. Um, and next up is probably the most iconic scene of the movie that's been replicated probably in Halloween costumes the world over since then is when she shows up to the fancy dress party in at her parents' house that the theme is tarts and vickers. And she dresses up because she wasn't told that the theme of the party has changed. She shows up wearing a bunny costume with a pom-pom on her bum and fishnet tights and discovers that she, and bunny ears on her head and discovers that she is the only one dressed up. How embarrassing for Bridget. Oh, it turns out not the only one. Oh, yeah, there's that, mm. um, that other lady who's hiding in the bushes. <laughs> Yeah, and her dad. And her dad, yeah. The and dad the dresses up as the vicar. As the full bishop mm-hmm. went to town, spent way too much money. How great is it when um, Una um, misunderstands that yeah. one of the ladies, Janet, <laughs> is just wearing regular clothes and isn't actually meant to be dressed like a quote-unquote tart? Mm-hmm. Uh, Common prostitute, I think, is the language she uses. Ah, yes. <laughs> and another thing that you couldn't get away with in 2022 um, and she also sees Mark Darcy at the party. This is the fourth time that they see each other. I didn't write anything about this scene, so I can't remember if they have a conversation or not here. Oh, all I remember is this is when she meets Julian for the first time. Mm. Um, mm. He says he loves a bracelet. The sort of thing one could wear anywhere to any occasion. <laughs> <laughs> He's always on. And he ad-libbed almost all of his lines really? as well. He's only in a few scenes. But almost everything he did, he like the genuine diamond like Is he an actual TV presenter? No, I think he's just a really good oh. improv actor. Okay. Yeah, with a really intense fake tan. <laughs> yeah. um, Bridget leaves the party. She goes back to Mark's house in London, which also, like Bridget's, is enormous, set over two levels and like a library worth <sighs> of books around the outside. Maybe more believable because he's the boss than Bridget, who works in the publicity but still a bit absurd, mm. in my opinion. But maybe he's from money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, he might be from money because, like, Cambridge boy. Cambridge, yeah. I'd believe that, yeah. Probably a private school boy beforehand. If he was mates with Mark Darcy, who's a barrister, also from rich family because mm-hmm. they live in, like, a mega manor. I was like, maybe he's rich. Maybe just the rich guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that checks out. Bridget, uh, he's trying to, like, Mark Darcy's trying to, like, get, sorry, not Mark Darcy, Daniel Cleaver is trying to get her out of the apartment, I'll catch up with you later, blah blah And that's when Bridget her, hears a, like, knock, a clunk, and then she gets suspicious. So someone else here, she runs into the bedroom, opens it, no one's there, and then, boy, does she have egg on her face that she's just embarrassed herself in front of this hunky, hunky man. And then he comes in with his, oh, don't even worry about it, Bridget, it's fine, don't apologise, all of that kind of nonsense mm-hmm. until she's leaving. She's almost out the door. He almost thinks he's gotten away with it when she notices a pink or purple coat on the coat rack, runs upstairs, opens the bathroom, sees on the side of the bath, sitting completely naked, Lara from the New York office who says... I thought you said she was thin. Oh, oh boy. Oh. oh, boy. She knew exactly how to crush Bridget in just seven 
words mm-hmm. she said so much because clearly she already knew about Bridget and then tapping into Bridget's deepest insecurities, every woman's deepest insecurities mm-hmm. at that time. Oh, that She landed. doesn't even flinch. Mm. Like if I was in the toilet on the shitter <laughs> or something or just sitting on the edge of the bath and someone walked in the door, you'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but like she walks in, she's like, it was almost Waiting like I've been expecting it. you. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Um, next scene, we see Bridget going back into the office. Laura, Lara from the New York office is there. She's leaning over Daniel. They have a conversation, Bridget and Daniel, because she needs to go in and, I don't know, report back on something. And then he goes into a speech about how Lara is just confident and young and Bridget isn't extraordinary enough. Oh. And then he drops that they're engaged. And I wanted you to be the first to know, Bridget. Mm-hmm. Like it was some sort of honour he was bestowing on her. Oh, 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 if he wasn't so gorgeous and rich, <laughs> I wouldn't have a crush on him. Also, as a side note, the so Renee Zellweger is 53 years old. The actor who plays Lara, 51 years old. So like younger, mm. but like a couple of years, not by like, she's not 21 or mm. 23 or anything like that. I was like, she's not that much younger than Renee Zellweger. Mm. But also how massive is the twist that that uh, that Bridget is actually the other woman. Yes. That was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. That was a real twist. And that Lara oh, yeah. from New York yeah. was aware of the affair and yeah. was okay a with it. Yeah. So she was the only person who was living a lie mm-hmm. unintentionally throughout that whole thing. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Also, you got to know Bridget's gone back to wearing long skirts and sneakers. Yeah, I noticed that. At mm-hmm. this point, she's not showing any skin, putting anything on display at this point. Probably because she's put on so much weight because she's so devastated about Daniel Cleaver dumping her. Um, next we get the classic glow-up scene. Bridget Set to Shaka Khan, <laughs> I'm every woman. Bridget is on her exercise bike because, as we've already established, she is just a horrendous woman who needs to do anything that she can to completely transform the way that she looks. Mm. She's throwing out her wine bottles and her self-help books and stocking her shelves with new books, which I like the look of. Women who love men are mad, life without men, how to get what you want. And then she's also looking for jobs in the newspaper. I Googled uh, those books. I don't think that they exist. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm sure there are similar ones out there. Probably but... not selling anymore if they did. <laughs> um, she also put photos on her fridge of her head on Victoria's secret models which is something oh. that people used to do at the time as well. So anytime they'd go to get any food, they'd see their own little oh. bit of inspo there. Oh. Another trend I'm glad to say that we oh. moved away from. But, yeah, a lot of my friends did similar things back mm-hmm. in high school. Next we see Bridget. She's back in the office and she is giving her what is probably one of the most iconic scenes in the film, mm. her quitting speech to Daniel Cleaver. She says, if staying here means working within 10 yards of you, I'd rather have a job wiping Sudam Hussein's ass, which I definitely enjoyed. Mm. And, and then she walks out. Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Mm-hmm. We've just seen Perpetua rally behind Bridget as well, which is magnificent. Mwah. Perfect scene and perfectly delivered. <laughs> Um, the next bit is like a bit of a kind of subplot in the movie. She gets a job working in TV 
and one of her first assignments is to go to a fire department and slide down a fireman's pole. She gets her timing wrong. Uh, so all that's captured on TV is her bum, which, and I quote, is the size of Brazil. And can I remind you, she's not even 60 kilos at this point. Oh, wait, can we address the a little bit more like workplace harassment that went on as oh, well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the boss who says no one gets fired for shagging the boss <laughs> in an open office, then winks at her and everyone's like, ah, oh, don't worry, that's just Barry. Like, mm-hmm. that's what everyone looks being like, oh, he's up to it again. But he's like, let's sleep together because I'm the boss. I won't fire you if you do. I was like, whoa, this is all. It just showed it was like, mate, happening everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that happened in that, like, series of job interviews mm. she was doing where she was trying to be someone she wasn't and then she just gave up and went with radical honesty, oversharing, and that's what landed her a job on TV. I love the moment where she was talking about how children are the future and she really wants to get into children's <laughs> television to shape young minds and then they asked her, she have kids on her own? She can't help us. Yeah. She's blurted, oh, Christ, no. Which is exactly how I just about it. scoffs. She's like, couldn't could think of anything worse. Next, we see her at a couple's dinner party. Uh. Mark and Natasha are there, which is the fifth time that they've seen each other in the film. And it's just a truly insufferable uh, experience for her because everyone else is a couple and she's a single and everyone turns to her and asks about being single and, oh, I can't imagine dating these days and all of that kind of conversation. She excuses herself and that's when Mark chases after her before she goes to... Prior to that, though, he's already come to her rescue, though, because when all the smug marrieds Mm. are basically asking, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you single? Um, He comes to her rescue when she asks the question about what the percentage of um, marriages are that end in divorce and he confirms that it's one in three to just shut Mm -hmm. everyone the F down. So he's already rescued her Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, when he chases after her... And that's when he confesses that he likes her just as you are, which is probably one of the most iconic lines from the film, I would think. It's actually quite sweet. It is. (laughs) Just really lovely. Yeah. Um, Next we see her. She's at work again. Um, At this point, for some reason, it's important to point out that now she's 138 pounds. Um, She is on an assignment where she runs into Mark at like a um, corner shop buying cigarettes and clearly they haven't spoken since he has declared that he likes her just as you are which I thought was kind of strange I would think if you like someone that much you follow up which is also like we don't know the time difference between the dinner mm-hmm. and the the meeting at the convenience store where she needs to buy a ciggies obviously because she's run out of her fourth packet for the day <laughs> But, yeah, time frame is interesting. It would be just nice to get a bit of clarification. Like, was the dinner party on Saturday and then the the court case was on the Monday? Mm-hmm. Also, the microphones that she uses as the host, like as the, um, the roving reporter, mm. they're like the oldest. They look like they're toy microphones. They're like the silver top and the thing around it. I was like, that's a real throwback. I really have to do another rewatch. I love the things you've noticed that I've not noticed. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, she sees him in the shop and she's like, oh, you like me. Yeah. Just as I am. Huh. He's obviously made a pretty big impact. And he goes, huh? Huh? <laughs> Did I say that? Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, whatever. And yeah. then he scores her her career coup. Yeah. He yeah. Says bacon. interview with his client. Mm-hmm. And when she signs off her interview with those people and she says, this is Bridget Jones with, let's face it, 
a bit of a crush. (laughs) (laughs) That's her first indication that she's starting to fall for him. It didn't take much, did it? No. 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 Had to say a couple of nice things and she's smitten. Mm. Yeah, can relate to that as well. Um, next, we're That's in. What, a- I finally, the butcher had said that to you. <laughs> mm. Yep, handing me my pork belly, saying something nice doesn't take much. Um, next, we're in a long scene in Bridget's apartment where she's cooking dinner with her friends, which again is another one, another scene that made me extremely uncomfortable because it is just a absolute disaster. She can't do anything right with the cooking. Um, Can you relate to that? Absolutely not. I'm a good cook these days. Oh. Okay. <laughs> These days, <laughs> my pork belly is absolutely brilliant. I can fully relate to this. One time, this was back when I used to even try doing things like hosting dinner parties and cooking for people. One of the most disastrous things I did was make a stir fry. I put passion fruit in it for some reason. Oh my god! <laughs> it was absolutely inedible. Strip the enamel off your teeth. It was so acidic, and I'm so sorry to everyone. <laughs> participated in that experiment. But, yeah, I can absolutely um, (laughs) relate to Bridget. Is there a little part of both of you that is like, I wonder what the blue soup tastes like? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Just there was enough of me that was like, I'd have a spoon of that. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know if I'd eat a whole bowl, but I'd have a spoon. Prefer that than the um, orange marmalade. (laughs) Oh, oh. Oh. But Mark arrives and starts to help her out with a cooking Friends arrive, they sit down. To Wait, this- helps her out with the cooking. He <laughs> makes an omelette. Like the bloke's not making it like a, a, a duck a l'orange or anything. <laughs> he like he makes an omelette. So help out with the cooking. I think you've given him a bit too much credit there, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, an omelette is, a, if I was served that as a dinner party, I wouldn't be too impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, friends arrive, they start eating this dinner. They all kind of acknowledge that it tastes terrible. It's a nice moment, I think, for Bridget to see her friends hanging out with the boy that she likes. Because mm-hmm. mm. um, I guess in her mind she's probably thinking, like, if I invite this guy into my life, is he going to be able to hang out with the rest of us? Mm. Especially because he is, like, up until this point, a bit of, like, a um, uptight kind of barrister mm. and her friends are Shazza and Tom and Moaning Myrtle. He would kind <laughs> of need to bring himself down a few notches. But he clearly can hold his own in this situation. Don't necessarily gel. Although Mark's pinstripe suit. Absolute 10 out of 10. Mm. Absolute top notch. He looks brilliant. He's not a bad dresser, is he? Big fan of the pinstripe suit. Mm -hmm. Um, Daniel Cleaver interrupts the dinner party and says, I like this. He says to Bridget, I thought you might be on your own because it was her birthday as well. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, So just assume that because she's a 32 year old, 62 kilo woman, what else would she be doing on her birthday? Sorry, she's 33 now, even worse. Mm. What else would she be doing on her birthday than? sitting at home alone, um, they go out to her balcony, which... Oh, don't you just love that all the friends light up a fresh ciggy <laughs> when he shows up as well? They're like, ooh, I can't wait to watch what happens. <laughs> it's a sport. They're here to watch sport. Mm. They go out to her enormous balcony because, as we've already acknowledged, she has uh, money to spend on an enormous apartment and this is when he confesses that, Brid- uh, sorry, that Lara dumped him and that he needs... Bridget, very gross. I'm just like, are you? Uh, when you're watching this scene, I'm just like screaming in your head, being like, "Don't take him back! Mm-hmm, don't take him mm-hmm. back! Don't take him back! Don't take him back! Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" It's like, don't go in that door. There's a monster in there. Don't yep. go in that door. No, no, stop going to the door. Stop going through the door. 
Yeah, she's vulnerable, I think, at this point to going back to him. But thankfully, um, no, actually not thankfully, because what happens next is that Mark has enough of it. He gets upset. He leaves. Um, but then he comes But they were about to kiss, and then it's only because Mark walks out to the edge of the door and interrupts them. They were like a couple of mm. centimetres away from, um, like, Touching lips and then bumping uglies probably a bit later. <laughs> but they were very, very close and it was, thank God, that Mark's timing was bang on. Yeah. Saves her again. So Mark walks out, he comes back in. Mark Darcy invites Daniel outside in the street to have a fight. <laughs> a real <Classic>. fight. <laughs> a real fight. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so then they're just brawling all over the street. Also, Tom- how quick's his punch? I don't know whether you yeah. guys noticed this, but he just like, bam. Straight out. It was like one of the fastest punches I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the sound doesn't quite match up to the punch. So I was like, all right, maybe you didn't actually hit him. But the punch, if you watch, it is lightning, like Muhammad Ali quick. Just absolute float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, bang. And then from there, it's all downhill in terms of grace and skill. <laughs> so Bridget lives next door to a Greek restaurant, which someone yell, runs into and says that there's a street, there's a fight on the street. So everyone, a bunch of people from the restaurant run out and watch them fighting. They like, said to its raining men by Jerry Hallowell. <laughs> Brilliant. We must mention <laughs> their brawl goes into the Greek restaurant. They're fighting all over people's tables, stopping um, to sing Happy Birthday along yeah. the way, mm-hmm. and then they fly together through the glass window of the restaurant and land in the street, which I just hate scenes like this. Any kind of fight scene I don't really enjoy if it's not like an action-packed movie and any kind of scene where I'm left thinking, like, who's paying for this? Like an enormous (laughs) amount of destruction, both for the patrons of the restaurant who have had their meals interrupted, but also the glass replacement of this Greek restaurant. Okay. And completely unharmed too. Like if they yeah. smash through the glass and there's just not a scratch on them. No. <laughs> You've got to think of this as more like a surrealist memory, <laughs> I think, of what happened. Because keep in mind, this whole thing is Bridget Jones's diary. It's Bridget Jones's oh, recollections. True. There's all sorts of fantasy things that happen throughout this movie. And I think we can file this away as one of those things. Because like the... Firstly, all the staff of the restaurant going out to cheer them on when they first start fighting. And then they make their way into the restaurant and everyone just, what, mostly stays seated Mm -hmm. and (laughs) lets it happen. And then they pause to sing happy birthday and then get back to it. Once again, no one's intervening. And then out the window and no one's... Yeah, I think this is meant to be one of those sort of fantastical scenes Mm -hmm. that this is the way that Bridget would tell it at a dinner party yeah, a couple of years later sense. as opposed to trying to make it a realistic thing. That's the only way I've come mm-hmm. to terms with it. <laughs> so they both end up on uh, Daniel and Mark fly onto the street. Mark kind of gets up and they have like a bit of an a bit of a tiff Mark and Bridget do and then Daniel eventually kind of comes to and says to Bridget as she's leaning over him, if I can't make it with you, I can't make it with anyone, which is not really a compliment. And thankfully she tells him that it's not good enough and she walks away. Huge character development there. (laughs) Because she's just developed the ick for Mark and Mm -hmm. she's made that very clear and so she's written him off completely and now she's willing to let go of Hugh Grant as well. So she's back to zero options, whereas like 20 minutes ago she had two on the go and she's okay with it. Next it's snowing again, which means that a whole year has passed since her turkey curry buffet at her parents' house. (laughs) 
Uh, she goes back to her parents' house where her dad's watching the mum on TV. And I like at this point, Bridget goes upstairs to her room and from the TV where they're watching her mum's TV show, she picks up her diary, which is like this quintessential part of this movie. It's why we're getting all of this um, storyline because she thinks that the way to transform her life is to keep a diary and we have no reference to the diary since she first wrote in it, mm. which is probably pretty relatable to a lot of people who start a diary and get a day into it <laughs> and then pick it up again on Christmas Eve. Guilty. She's got such wonderful handwriting, though. Yeah, it Renee is nice. Zellweger has just beautiful handwriting. Um, and then she goes upstairs, and at that point, her mum comes home and starts to rekindle the relationship that she has with her dad, which is very nice. Next morning, Bridget wakes up, mum and dad are downstairs, they tell her to get ready. I just have to point something out. So, by this point, we know that um, Pamela's left. Julian, mm-hmm. but there have been a couple of scenes that Julian's featured in, one in which I think he's getting a manicure mm. or something, and he says to the woman who's doing it for him, careful, you ham-fisted cow. <laughs> now, the actual word he said that they had to overdub was ham-fisted cunt. <gasps> and oh, what? I, yeah. So there are certain places around the world where they've gone, yeah, we can get away with it, so we're going to leave it in. But Australia was one of the markets ah. where they overdubbed it. So it says, Eastern Europe probably get away with it. How? <laughs> yeah. I didn't wow. pick up on that. And speaking of overdubbing, this was something that really stood out to me on this watch, how many times it seems very obvious that the audio feels like it's been super imposed. Mm. And a lot of the time it's Renee Zellweger speaking. So I think maybe there were a lot of scenes where they went back and listened and said, accent would sound a bit more British Mm. and a bit less Mm. Texan. Mm. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, one thing for you, Jacob, too, that I know that you might need to watch in the rewatch. This is another thing that I picked up, one of those things where you're like, I didn't really know that, but the wallpaper in her parents' house. Yeah. Can you picture that? No. Oh, mate, it is just the most rare shit you've ever seen. It's like (laughs) these huge blue and yellow stripes. Like it's at no point would it have been fashionable (laughs) to put it in there. You look at it and you're like, that is a stressful house to walk into. The wallpaper the is... wallpaper and Pamela and the gherkins and the like. <laughs> oh, oh, mate. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that Pamela did it, but it's seriously, no other human being in their right mind would put up that wallpaper in their house. Hopefully we can blame it on the 90s or early 2000s. I reckon that house was constructed in the 70s. It just remained a time capsule with its doilies and its wallpaper. Um, The mum asks Bridget to get ready because they're going to a party at the Darcy's house. Ruby wedding anniversary. Yes. Uh, Bridget's mum points out that this is a sad day for Mark because it reminds him of when his wife cheated on him with a friend from college, which is the moment where Bridget realises, oh, no, Daniel told me a porky pie. It was actually Mark Darcy who was cheated on, not Daniel Cleaver. (laughs) So she gets ready and then they go to the party together. With, I think this is the third time they play the Supremes. Ain't no man enough. Because she's a woman on a mission. (laughs) She's got to get to the man that she now understands has a good, good heart Mm -hmm. and is the man of her dreams. She needs to get there quicker than her father can drive, so she takes the wheel. And so unsafe too. Like tiny roads, snowing. Mm -hmm. She is very dangerous driving. Would not recommend that to any of the listeners out there. If it's snowing, stick to the speed limit. Yeah. 
Uh, she's got somewhere to be, though, and that somewhere to be is the party where she decides now is the right time to tell Mark that she likes him too. But unfortunately, this scene cuts to the next scene where we find out that he has just been made partner at a law firm in New York <sighs> and that he's probably going to marry that uptight bitch Natasha. I've got another one for you here, Jacob, a little thing, <laughs> a little continuity thing that they've definitely stuffed up on. So. Yeah. When she tells him that she likes him just the way he is. Mm, but he should and, rethink the length of his sideburns. Yep. Yep. And then it cuts to the next one. His tie has been retied in a different way. Or it's, So it's the same. So it's when um, she tells him mm. the tie is tied and then it is like pulled out and there's no dimple in the tie. Mm. When you go to the next scene, there's a little dimple in the tie. So they happened at different times. I was like... Mm. Ah, uh, 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 Colin Firth, I've <laughs> caught you there. Not getting that past me. Yep. And then we're on the home stretch, the final scene. Bridget is back in London. She's in her apartment. She's very sad. <sighs> Valerie, out of reach. The song. You know what I'm talking about. Out of reach. No. Oh. no. <laughs> She's eating yeah. chutney out, out of the Oh, no, no, I do know that song now. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Um, her friends, Shazza and Tom and Moni Myrtle, arrive and tell her that they're taking <laughs> her to Paris and they have to leave right away because the next time we see her, she's outside. The friends are in the car. She's trying to lock the door when Mark Darcy arrives and they come to the decision that the friends are going to go to Paris without them because Mark, Darcy and Bridget are desperately in love with each other and they need to go inside and have a little smooch, which mm. I think is nice. Cute. But before we do that, she needs to get out of her Hello Mummy granny undies (laughs) and put on something that's a bit more appropriate. And I like that she's changing in what she into what she describes as, and I quote, genuinely tiny knickers, which are still very enormous briefs. But they're leopard proof. Uh-huh. So they're sexful. Sexy. <laughs> and while she's getting changed, Mark Darcy is downstairs reading her diary where she sees that she where he sees that she's written about her and describes him as having a gherkin up his bum. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the seventh reference to gherkins in the entire movie. More gherkin references than any movie you've ever watched <laughs> in your life. <laughs> so then he leaves. We think it's because he's so upset by this. She Sees him walking away. She calls out to him, doesn't hear her. So she runs out to him in the snow in a pair of runners, a singlet, a cardigan, and her genuinely tiny knickers. Good luck, crazy lady. (laughs) She eventually catches up to him and she finds that he's buying her a new diary. He wasn't upset. And then they kiss. Two things that I saw for this. So first thing that actually ages really well he asks for consent to kiss her. Oh, that's nice. Ah. He goes, "Can I kiss you?" I mean, that I think that might happen before he finds the diary, or it might. But he definitely asks for consent at the end. And I was like, "Ha! Huh, haven't you done very well for yourself, Mark Darcy?" Hmm. The second thing, I was like, "What diary shop is open at this yeah. time of <laughs> night in the snow?" It's this is a. You walk into a jewelry store. Mm. What jewelry store is open after five pm? Yeah. Yeah. And second, what jewellery stores are selling diaries and are open past 5pm? <laughs> Outrageous. It's a very, very valid point I, that I'd not thought about. Mm-hmm. I was too caught up in the um, the magic of the nice boys don't <laughs> kiss like that. 
oh yes, we fucking do. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> and then the movie ends. Oh, there are a couple of end credit scenes though. I didn't sing around and watch them. <gasps> did you, Adam? I did. I did. Ah, okay. I think there's only three of them. Okay. The first one. Hugh Grant is talking about how thrilled he is for Bridge and Mark and how great they are together. And he introduces his new girlfriend, Pauline, and she corrects him and says, no, it's Paula. Paula. (laughs) So they've obviously got a really deep connection. Um, Then we're introduced to Mark Darcy's parents. Mm -hmm. This is all from memory, by the way. This is impressive. Um, And they're talking about how thrilled they are for the two of them. We find out that Mark's father's name is also Mark. So Mm. he's definitely from one of those aristocratic families that follow that sort of tradition. And the dad says that he really likes Bridget because she's a well-built girl (laughs) with a backside you could park a bike in and rest a pint on. (laughs) That definitely made it into our 17-year-old vernacular at the time. And then we get another one with Hugh Grant. He's with another date, still talking about how thrilled he is for Bridge and Mark. Things are not going very well for him in his life, though. Um, And he introduces his new date that I think he calls Shauna, and Shauna corrects him and says, no, it's Steve. So he's not even aware of the gender. Brilliant. The person he's sleeping with. Brilliant. Those are the end credits. And now we're finished. Okay. Oh, thanks for coming on that ride with me, fellas. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said the word fellas before. It feels weird in my mouth. <laughs> I think uh, Jacob's ready for a rewatch now. He's before he watches number two, Bridget Jones's Diary two. He's going to go back and rewatch Bridget Jones's Diary. Speaking of, have you guys seen either of them? Either of the sequels? I have not. I've ne- have seen ne- neither neither of the sequels. I would have seen Bridget Jones to the end of Re- Edge of Reason. Uh-huh. I don't think I've seen Bridget Jones's Baby though. Okay. Do you want to know what happened? No, I'll go home and watch them. Uh, <laughs> I'll call you later. <laughs> All I'll tell you is Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason follows the book. And then the third one, the movie's called Bridget Jones's Baby and the book is called Mad About the Boy. Vastly different. Some characters don't make it out alive. Interesting. Mm. Happy New Year, listeners. I just want to leave everyone with a tiny bit of trivia before we go. Um, awards, Renee Zellweger was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. For this film, she lost to Halle Berry in Monster's Ball. She was also nominated for a Golden Globe. She lost to Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. And the film was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture alongside Legally Blonde and Shrek and Moulin Rouge won. So good enough to be recognised. hot year that year. Not good that, enough I'll to tell you win. what, you would not see those four movies no. to be nominated in this day and age. No. Mm-hmm. Tough competition. Golden age. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming back and jumping Thank in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It I both enjoyed re- re-watching the movie and then re-talking about re-watching the movie <laughs> today. So good luck to all of our listeners this New Year's Day who are setting some re- uh, resolutions for themselves. I hope that they're, um, I don't know what I hope that, that they are, reasonable. <laughs> Realistic and achievable. <laughs> yes. yes. And Jacob, you're off for a bit more BJ after this. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. And I that's will. where we'll end it. Thanks, guys. Listener.